0: It's Thursday, May twenty second. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen. Just you and me, man. Love it. <laughs> um, programming note: Memorial Day is Monday, so we will not be here. We will be back on Tuesday.
1: We will be barbecuing. We will
0: be barbecuing. Uh, we will, uh, but we will be back on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to talk retail today. We've got the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, we will go international and revisit a prediction Tim had made earlier in this year. Let's start with the good in retail, and that's Williams Sonoma. First quarter profits up seventeen percent. There are retailers, there are there are companies in general, but certainly there are retailers who have a really bad quarter. And I'm tempted to ask, are there any silver linings here? I look at Williams Sonoma's quarter, and I have to
1: ask the inverse: What did anything bad happen? Like, what is the <laughs> it is just. It has been one monster quarter after another for these guys, and and they are building on each other. So they had previously, so Williams Sonoma, four core brands: Pottery Barn, Williams Sonoma, uh, West Elm, and then Pottery Barn Kids and Teen. Which, yep. I, but um, Pottery Barn has been doing very well. It's the biggest brand. West Elm has been the growth story, just killing it and William Sonoma had been struggling it's a billion dollars roughly sales business that had kind of been a, kind of kind of gotten outdated and hadn't been doing well and it put up a 6% comp this quarter i mean that's a that's a that's a huge number and if that if that thing gets going i mean watch out watch out above um to niggle with anything it would be inventory growth which outpaced sales growth um they have said that in stock by increasing their in stock levels that's contributed to their outperformance so that that is investment in inventory, and they are um, putting inventory into some international initiatives, and also making sure that West Elm and the, and the new stores are opening have stock. Um, but if you're going to watch anything that you're worried about, that would be inventory would be the thing to watch because inventory obviously can suck up a lot of cash and and, and get marked down or written off. Um, but you know, the Urban Outfitters call they had a they had a, a rougher quarter than William Sonoma, but he he said on on their call. He took issue with anybody who blamed the weather in the quarter for for bad retail performance. He said, "Look, if you've got a website and you're good at marketing online, bad weather is like the greatest thing in the world because you've got a bunch of people sitting around at home shopping right. on their tablets and their and their and their phones." And they had two of Urban Outfitters' brands had very strong quarters, particularly online. And I think the story of the Williams Sonoma quarter here to come back around is that. They now have they now had more than fifty percent of their sales come from direct online sales and less than fifty percent from their brick and mortar stores. Uh, that's incredible. It's a it's a it's evidence of what they've been working on, working out well for them. And, you know, and it's the future of retailing. You've got to be online and you've got to be good at it. And they are.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because I did have that number written down: fifty percent of revenue from direct sales. And my question to you was going to be, do I have that right? Because yeah, that's yeah. that is an. Ast- astounding number
1: yeah you know and it's um and and for them i mean for a furniture business to get that number higher and higher online you know normally you think about oh, i'm gonna buy a chair i gotta go sit in it right but for that if you have to have chairs at every store that's a lot of inventory sitting around with very low turns and historically furniture businesses lazy boys example here have kind of struggled to be efficient retailers um for Williams Sonoma, they get the order online, they drop it into their manufacturing facility in North Carolina, and I mean, they they don't have to. They can sell a big ticket item without having to invest in the inventory. It's 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 fantastic for their business, and the fact that they're getting people to buy large ticket furniture online um, just goes to show how good they are at online marketing.
0: Let's move to the bad. Best Buy's earnings did come in better than expected, but revenue fell for the ninth straight quarter. Uh, I, help me out here because I am seeing headlines online of, oh, th- this is a turnaround for Best Buy, really?
1: Yeah, I think this is. Um, we, had, you may not remember this conversation, but I think a few years ago we were talking about Best Buy when it just when it was starting to struggle, and you you asked the panel, you know, what does Best Buy need to do to to turn itself around? And I think my answer at the time was they've got to get some exclusive product that gets people into the stores and gets people to their website. Um, so, that they're not just showrooming and competing on price. And I think at the time I suggested Roku. You know, who's to say that would have been a good idea or not to be the only people able to sell Roku or something along those lines? But all these retailers who are doing well, you know, have exclusive product or a reason to have to go into that particular store or go to that particular website. Whereas Best Buy, I mean, they don't, they don't have anything that somebody else doesn't have. And so, if you're just going to compete on price, Amazon is going to beat you. I, I, I think that's that's obvious. They have the resources, and they're they're better at, um, uh, they're, and they're better at convenience. So, if, what do you have left to compete on?
0: It does seem like it is, uh, in, in some ways, kind of like a teen apparel retailer. In that, if you time it perfectly, you can make money off mm-hmm. the stock, mm-hmm. but. It's not necessarily something you want to hold for five years.
1: No, I, th- I think Best Buy's in, in in a bit of a secular decline. Um, you know, the, the the only hope they would they would have at this point, I think, would be to look at, and I think they are doing this to some extent, is to look at the turnaround that Home Depot has put up recently, um, where Bob Nardelli famously underinvested in staffing, and uh, people went away from Home Depot because why would you go to Home Depot? I mean, if it Again, if you're just competing on price or lots of other places to shop, people had gone to Home Depot because the people on the floor at Home Depot could help you solve your problem. It's like, oh, I've got a leak. Oh, here's what you need to do, here are the six things. Yeah. You know, have a great day. Um you know, technology, installation of technology, troubleshooting, you know, it's a big part of of, of that industry. And if Best Buy could reinvigorate their service levels, that might be a hope for them, but I don't really see them doing that. And when I do go to the Best Buy to walk around, it doesn't. Th- their staff does not strike me as hyper hyper competent. When you ask, "Hey, what's the difference between this and this?" Well, can't you see it? Like, yeah, ah, not nah, not really. <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll 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 see how that how that goes for them. Um, you know, Kip Tyndall, the CEO of the Container Store, was here in our offices yesterday talking, and people asked him how they avoided the showrooming phenomenon to the extent that they have. And he said, basically, because we offer solutions, and you can't get solutions from a website um, that just has a list of products. So that that that's one way to fight it. And You can fight it through service or exclusivity, but you got to have one or both.
0: You mentioned Home Depot. Do you remember Heckinger? Do you remember the Heckinger stores in this area? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I've I've used that as an example. Just I don't know necessarily in this studio, but just in conversations. Heckinger was a – I think it was a D.C. – Washington, D.C. area version of Home Depot. And there was one actually pretty close to Full HQ. And their – basically their bet against Home Depot was kind of what Nardelli did, which is we're not going to staff up because people who are going to shop here are going to be smarter. They're going to be people who really know what they want. So we don't need to staff up. And even though it was much closer, I would go into Heckinger, and you know, I, other than changing a light bulb, there's not a lot I know how to do. <laughs> so I'm I'm the person walking in saying, "Wait a minute, I need help here," and there's no one around to help. And so I would go an additional few miles up Duke Street to get to the Home Depot because they would have people who could help. It's a, yeah, it's such a well. The thing you is, you really better know what you're doing if you're making that bet. As a retailer, if your bet is we don't need to staff up because the people who are walking in the door know exactly what they want and don't need help.
1: Well, and also those people would tend to know exactly how much they should pay for everything, so you're never going to you know trick them into not trick, but you're not going to get those sort of add-on basket purchases that often drive margin at a lot of those stores. The, um, you know, the interesting thing is at the end of the day, you know, Amazon competes on, on price. I think people all, or at least they, they price match very very aggressively. But but I don't think Amazon's strategy is just to be the lowest cost provider. I think they say their strategy is to be the most convenient option for anybody. Mm-hmm. And part of being convenient is me knowing that when I search for a product, if I go to Amazon, I don't have to worry about searching it at four other sites because Amazon's going to have, I've saved that time. Like, I don't need to comparison shop. They've made that convenient for me. Um, So convenience and time-saving is another area for competitive advantage in this sort of new retail landscape. Um, But, you know, Best Buy doesn't seem to really offer any of that at this point. And nor does, I think, the company we're going to talk about next.
0: Let's get to the ugly. (laughs) Sears, first quarter loss much wider than expected. Revenue down 7% from a year ago. They've already closed 80 locations this year. They say they may close more. I, I, I don't know why they would even go through pretending to use the word may. They've, they've, they've got to get
1: smaller. They've got to, there, are so many, there are so many holes in that boat. <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't know what they do. I mean, I've seen bullish cases for, for Sears, and to me, it's just
0: Have you seen a bullish case for Sears that does not involve the value of the real
1: estate? You, you can't you can't even approximate a bullish case for Sears without the real estate and and releasing. Um you know, taking advantage of of, of of subleases and the difference between what maybe Sears is locked in at and what they can they can let it for on the open market today. You know, but math is a funny thing. And, <laughs> and, and when you've got low probability events, or even medium probability, let's say if you have five 25% events, right, 25% chance events, the odds of those five things happening in tandem is not 25%, right? It's... Twenty five percent times twenty five percent, and every time you multiply it, the 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 total you know probability drops. And for me, looking at these Sears cases, like oh, all right, if if we can reinvigorate our product line, you know, reinvent our business model to be membership focused, and release all these stores, and sell um, some of these you know huge footprint stores at top top malls, and you know lease these stores to Whole Foods and what. Yeah, it's happened in parts of the portfolio, but I just don't—I don't see how the whole picture comes together. And uh, it's been a—I mean, Sears. How long has Lampert been turning around Sears? It's been like ten years, hasn't it?
0: <laughs> turning around, which you use air quotes. Yeah, you <laughs> can't
1: see that on the radio.
0: It's—it's <laughs> um, it's been, gosh, how long has Lampert been in charge I, I think there? I mean,
1: it, I think it's been nine or ten years. Yeah, because um, I mean, Sears was a value. Sears was like a big value stock in 05, at least. It was a value, cult value stock. And it's you know, still the same thing in a worse position.
0: Joe Mager doesn't even want this stock.
1: Wow. That <laughs> saved something. And it's always fun to take shots at Joe <laughs> while he sleeps in the Southern Hemisphere. In the Southern <laughs> Hemisphere. Thousands of miles
0: away. Um, all right. We're done with retail. Uh, earlier this year, in this studio, I believe in that exact chair you're sitting in, you predict- my lucky chair, Chris. Uh, <laughs>
1: you predicted a coup in Thailand. I did. And? Today it's official. The, the, the military has taken control. Um, now, here I don't mean to make light of, of political instability or the people in Thailand who have been victims of, of the, the political violence there, but Thailand has had a lot of coups over the last 10, 20 years. And coups in Thailand... Generally, generally sort themselves out. This isn't. This You're isn't,
0: saying they're more orderly than coups in other countries where they don't have as much experience. Well, they've got a lot of practice,
1: right? Precisely. <laughs> um, and and the the military general here who has taken over is not does not have designs on becoming the dictator of Thailand. Rather, he is there to shake out order in what had become a very messy voting and democracy situation, and and put back in a more effective democracy, uh, which. In, Track record says they they will do, and if you look at things like tourism uh, or visa um, access uh, at at the airports in Thailand, they do drop precipitously during years when Thailand has a coup, as you might sure. expect. Um, but they recover very nicely, and that's because, generally speaking, cooler heads prevail, and the country goes back on doing what what it's good at. So, I you know I, I don't know. I think the Thai stock market. Uh, was was closed today as a result of the coup. Um, so it, it's not clear exactly how stocks will react there. Um, interestingly, Siam Commercial Bank, which is the largest bank in Thailand, uh, just the other day made notice that they were going to have an ADR program starting. So maybe they, they'd like to be not just trade in Thailand anymore, perhaps for stability reasons. Um, but you know, from an opportunity standpoint, you know these. Thai stocks dropped really sharply at the beginning of January when people thought there was going to be coup in January. The political turmoil has sort of dragged out for five months now. We do have the official coup takeover, um, but I think it'll be more orderly than the word than the than the images that coup conjures up for people. And uh, there there is a Thai ETF here in the states, or um, you know we we certainly are interested in things like Siam Bank and uh, airports of Thailand and some of those companies.
0: On that note, you mentioned the images. And how they can suggest more violence? Could you just share? Because it's it's been a while, but I remember when a few years back you and a couple of our colleagues went to Greece, mm-hmm. and my recollection of your trip there was that the images of turmoil in Athens didn't really match up with what you guys experienced.
1: Well, just I think as in as in Thailand, there were incidences of of real violence in Greece. You know, people did did die. Um, and and there 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 was certainly ugliness, but you know the media wound up this story that it was happening everywhere every day. Like Athens was almost under siege, and so we were there. We were there for a little more than a week, and we tried to go to a protest every day. And we went to <laughs> we couldn't we literally couldn't find one for most days, even though we were told where they were going to be. And the day we did find the police and firefighters union protesting. Uh, their protest involved them sitting in in the in the park by the olive market, drinking iced coffee, which seemed lovely. It <laughs> was a nice day. <laughs> so uh, you know that's, that's the kind of protest I can get behind. Exactly. So it's not to say that these things there aren't certainly sparks that happen, but in many of these situations, it's it's never quite as dire as the newspaper headlines and this sort of machine we've built online that just competes for page views. Um, would have you believe
0: uh, a couple of uh listeners i need to uh thank uh first a comment from uh, from Jim Whitcock in the 703 um uh, providing a little on the ground sorry the what the 703 here in virginia okay yeah uh, that, that might
1: have gone over some other people <laughs> <laughs>
0: um Providing a little on-the-ground research uh, on a topic we touched on recently, Um, sent a message, I'm at Taco Bell for breakfast. The coffee leaves a bit to be desired, but the crunch wrap makes up for it, and then some. Huh. There you go. Huh. Boots on the ground research. Uh, And I have to thank Don Sampson, uh, one of our longtime listeners, and, uh, and one of our members here at The Motley Fool, who sent me... Um, a a Moe's milk bar, 45% deep milk chocolate with hickory-smoked, uncured bacon. Ooh. I like Uh, Don. Don's (laughs) always very generous with the food stuff. And a very very nice note uh, saying, uh, I bought this for you to share with the guests who have recently extolled the virtues of bacon, but they'll never know if you don't share. Sincerely does <laughs> so. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that he's he's looking over. But I, but of, of course I will share. Um, Nell Minow is our guest on the Motley Fool Money Radio Show this week. Uh, we taped the interview the other day. One of the things we talked about was how Memorial Day is sort of the official kickoff of the summer movie season. Is there a movie you're looking forward to? One of the things I said to Nell was, I'm already. Looking past the big blockbusters of this year, I'm not really interested in X-Men and the next Transformers. I'm already looking ahead to 2015, where you've got another Avengers movie, then the next Star Wars movie, that sort of thing. But um, but is there is there something if you if you get, get to a movie because you've got young kids, so I know you. We
1: don't, we actually our family, my wife and I, we have an official movie plan right now. Really? Yes, we do. Sure. Um, so. So this this involves a little bit of background. Do I have time to share background? Of course. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like we got to go to commercial break. <laughs> so my wife uh, grew up in Ohio with, with lovely parents um, and very well-meaning parents. And as a result of just how well-meaning they were, um, they did not have cable television until my wife was in, in high school. And similarly, uh, she didn't make it out to... A lot of the movies of the day, so there's a there's a gaping pop culture hole, timeline gap in my wife's knowledge of of, of movies. So uh, thanks to Netflix, we're, I think the plan this summer is not to go to the theater, okay, but, but to to fill in that gap. So for example, the time period we're talking about last week, we started with the fabulous, fabulous Cameron Crowe, John Cusack classic, Say Anything. Wow. Yeah, my wife. Was not even aware this movie existed. Really, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, and so now that's we're going to move on from there.
0: So we're, if I'm remembering correctly, we're basically talking late 1980s to possibly
1: mid like 88 to 96.
0: Okay, yep. Wow, 88
1: to 96, 80s, 86 to 96. In that 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 window, you got a lot of good movies. That's I'm excited about this. No, and, and you know I haven't probably haven't paid enough attention to them recently either. So this will be that is our movie plan. For the summer, which I think beats any of the uh, any. Of the, I looked at the list of blockbusters, and I agree with you. It's pretty. It's pretty grim. It is pretty grim.
0: Although, uh, th- and this is something else, Nell and I talked about. It does seem like there are also opportunities uh, for for people like me uh, to see what I like to call grown-up movies. So, for example, Sex Tape. I wasn't the unfortunately st- titled Sex Tape.
1: Oh. Which- which actually has a very funny trailer. Oh, that's the Cameron Diaz, yes. Jason. No, I I'm was
0: not actually, sure why they called it that. I, I don't. I don't know either. Um, no, I was actually going um, uh, John Favreau's new movie oh, Chef.
1: You were telling me about this the other day. Yeah,
0: yeah. Chef looks like uh, a, a movie that you know, without car crashes and robots and that kind of thing. looks like a a smart uh, movie for people who aren't looking for Transformers. So, that's, which
1: is the, the three or four of you? The three or four <laughs> of us. <laughs>
0: Um, all right, Tim Hansen uh, check out declarations if you haven 't if if you 're not subscribing to declarations, what are you waiting for? go to foolfunds dot com sign up for it it 's the monthly newsletter from Tim Hansen and the crew at motley fool funds it 's great content it 's free content. So go check it out. Thank you for being here, man. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Remember, it's Memorial Day here in the U.S. on Monday, so we will be back on Tuesday. The show is mixed by Gail Anya Nuevo. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Tuesday.